We will begin a new chapter, starting at chapter 2, Paul's letter to the Philippians, looking at verses 1 through 4. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here with me then a reading of God's Word. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As far as the reading of God's Word. Paul, in our text here this morning, is addressing a a very important topic. Not only to the church, but to each one of us individually. And that topic is unity. Unity. Unity or harmony is of such importance for innumerable amount of reasons, which we will draw out over this course of this morning. But we cannot divorce these four verses we're going to look at from what it was we read last week. So, briefly look at verse 29 and 30 with me. Where Paul says, For it has been granted to you that you, for the sake of Christ, should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You see, Paul is saying these next four verses to a church in conflict. A church that is experiencing suffering to some degree. And so Paul tells them that this goes hand in hand with the life of a Christian. And Paul knows this, obviously, from first-hand experience. And he's, so he's saying to them, if you have been granted faith in Christ, then you must be aware that you, you too have been granted suffering. Suffering will too follow after your faith. And so Paul now is writing these next four verses impassioned that the saints would not depart from the faith due to the suffering or due to this affliction. He's writing these four verses that they would remain faithful to the one in whom they serve, the one in whom they are suffering on account of. That is Christ. That's why Paul starts here in verse 1. So if there's any comfort in Christ, as this unity which Paul calls upon the saints to exhibit is one that is born out of being in Christ. As being the body of Christ. Because unity by nature is not natural to us. Unity is not natural to us. What's natural to us is, is looking out for ourselves. Of wanting all the shine and all, all the glory. By, wa- by wanting what we want, when we want it, and how we want it done. But this, this attitude, this, this mind, this heart is not one that breeds unity. Rather, it breeds disunity because it prioritizes your own feelings, your own concerns. And then it only leaves room for others as an afterthought, if a thought at all. And so, those who have been given faith, we now have the ability to be united in the manner in which Paul says here. Yet as sinners, we need constant reminder to be united. 
because we're living in a world that is attacking us. We're living with conflict from Satan. We're living with the very conflict within ourselves daily between the flesh and the spirit. And so Paul is writing to the saints knowing that this very well exists. He knows the struggles. And he knows what can result in them, which is something that could terrorize and break up the church. We have the example of this in the church of Corinth. And so Paul doesn't want this to be a reality to the Philippians. Remember, Paul's writing to a church which he's pleased with, he's happy with. And so he pleads with them saying, since you know the comfort which comes from Christ, since you have experienced His love, since you share in the same Spirit, since you have experienced His mercies, fill up my joy. Make my joy overflow And you do this by being united with one another in the faith. This is how you fill up Paul's joy. By sharing in the oneness, which is the purpose that you have been brought together. This oneness, which God secured in our redemption. This is why Paul says that that our being united would cause him overwhelming joy. Because we would be fulfilling what God has intended for us. We, the church, the body, we have been gathered together for the purpose of being His body here on earth. Which means we must be united, yet we can't effectively do this if we are fighting. When division abounds. For this brings shame to the the name of the Lord. Because we look no different from the rest of the world. See, disunity dishonors God. For Christ His Son died in order that we would make up one new body. And so when we reject this, it it demonstrates a lack of care and concern for what Christ accomplished for us upon the cross. As Paul tells the Gentile Christians in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, after saying of the Gentiles that they were once separated from Christ, they were aliens to the covenant of promise, to the commonwealth of Israel. He says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus... You who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one. He has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of two. So making peace. Christ broke down what separated us, the Jew from the Gentile for the purpose of creating one man instead of two. Christ's purpose was one man, one body, one church. Not division, not unity. This is Satan's purpose. To stir up division, to stir up controversy. That we would be thinking more highly of ourselves and that we would be thinking more lowly of each other. And so, in spite of this, the question is, how do we unite? With all this conflict going on, that that seeks to separate us from one from another. How does a church have unity? Well, this is what we'll be looking at then this morning. And we'll be doing so under three headings. Our first point will be, what is the meaning of unity? The second will be, what stifles unity or what stands in the way of unity? And the third will be, how do we cultivate unity? So the meaning of unity, what stifles unity... How do we cultivate unity? So, looking at point one, Paul says in verse two that unity is having the same mind, 
having the same love, and in being in full accord of one mind with one another. So what does it mean to have the same mind? Well, it means to think alike. To think alike. But this does not just mean that we intellectually think alike. But it likewise means having the same disposition, the same attitude, the same will. So that Paul is not just seeking unity in thought, but unity in our whole being as we all strive together after the same purpose. To magnify the name of Christ. To spread the Gospel. You see, because if we can all have the same mind, but if your will is to do something, your will is to do something different, your will is to do something different, well then having the same mind doesn't really matter. We are to be one in mind as well as will and thought and attitude. This is how we stand united together. Now it's not important that we think alike in everything and all things. Some might think that, you know, John might think that Ford trucks are the best. I might think that Toyotas are the best. John might be wrong. That's okay. But it's all right that we can disagree. You can, you're allowed to have your own opinion in insignificant matters. But you cannot have your own opinion when it comes to the Gospel. The Gospel is fact. It's objective truth which we are called to receive and to believe. All right? The Gospel leaves no room for opinion. The Gospel is true. Not only do we know it intellectually, but we have experienced the power of the Gospel. We have experienced its effects. It's the reason that you and I sit here today. And so we can have disagreements about trucks, but we cannot have disagreements about God's Word, about the Gospel, about Christ, who Christ is, what He accomplished. And yet, see, this is the beauty of having a confession of faith. We're all on the same page. We're all thinking the same thing about the Scriptures. Think about how much arguing and bickering and questioning that already throws out the window to begin with, to start with. Because we're all starting on the same page. I'm going to give you an example. It really doesn't... Uh, it has more to do with other churches than our own church. Because um, many churches, you might have three, four, five, six elders. So think about uh, a church like that which has no confession. And so each week, you might have a new elder who's coming up here and teaching you something different than the other one. And then one elder who's teaching you one thing a month later could all of a sudden change his view on something and could be teaching you something completely different. Right? And what do you think this does to the congregation? One pastor has a contingent of followers who follow him. This pastor has a contingent of followers who follows him. And so what you usually get then is like little separate mini-congregations within the larger one. This doesn't breed unity. They're, and it can't breed unity because they're not of like mind. They don't think alike. You have, you have your, your Calvinist uh, believers here. You have your Armenian believers here. This is the beauty of having a confession, brothers and sisters. We are all on the same page. We know when we gather, we all think alike. It makes worshiping and fellowshipping together easier. It makes preaching easier. Because I, we're only preaching what our confession says. I don't have to create something new. Right? We all know that we're gathering around like-minded people. We think the same way. And so it makes these things easier. It makes standing side by side for the Gospel easy because we all believe the Gospel is the same thing. Right? You don't have to wonder what we think about something. We have a standard which we are all in agreement upon. This is the beauty of a confession. It takes out the guessing. We have the same mind. We have the same goal. We are united around Christ and His Word. See, the saints in Philippi were to have this same mind as well. 
defending the true faith which was delivered to them by the saints. You see, the, the Judaizers were swooping in and they were trying to elevate the flesh. They were, they were trying to get the, the Colossians to follow at, the Philippians to follow after circumcision. But Paul says, don't forget that righteousness does not come through the law. Righteousness does not uh, come through meritorious acts. It does not come through circumcision. Righteousness comes through faith in Christ alone. And this common faith they have in Christ, and there's a reason he can say, if you remember in verse 27, that they were to be of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is what it means to be united, to think alike, to share in a common goal, to proclaim the name of Christ, to share His Word side by side together. Now, unity also means having the same love. Not only thinking alike, but loving alike. And this love is the opposite of self-love. If we love ourselves and we prioritize this, unity is impossible. Because we'd each be focusing on love of self, not love of others. This would be rather individualistic love, one centered on yourself. But the love that Paul is calling on the saints to have here is a love in which they share together in, which is a love of God in Christ. This is the reason we gather. This is the reason that we wake up early to come gather together to worship. This is the reason that we're okay suffering or facing persecution. This is the reason that we can stand side by side for the sake of the Gospel. Because we love our Lord. This brings us together. This motivates our life. This motivated the Apostle Paul's life. He was sitting in jail because he loved God. He loved God And his love for God was more important than even love for himself. It was more important even than his own life. Yet this makes sense, because what does Jesus say? If you don't love me more than your uh, mother or father or your son or your daughter, you're not worthy of me. Love for God is to take precedence over love of all other types. It is to be positioned above all other love, even love for self. Yes, we are called to love neighbor, but love of God is to take precedence even over that. This is the first and greatest commandment, to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we can only do this because Christ first loved us. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, brothers and sisters, Christ dwells in our heart by faith. Faith that is grounded in love, love of God in Christ. And this is the reason then, this love of God in Christ, that we then can love one another. Because we see Christ in one another. And this is what unites us. This is what brings Paul joy. Yet one other thing that Paul says unites us is being in full accord. What does it mean then to be in full accord? It means having the same spirit. To be one in feeling with one another. To be acting as one body in unison together. In thought and in feeling. You see, each of these words that Paul uses this morning in verse verse 1, or verse 2, excuse me, is essentially saying the same thing, but just in different ways. Paul is saying over and over again, think alike in Christ. Love alike in Christ. Act and feel alike in Christ. 
This is unity. He's saying be united. To be bound by Christ's Spirit together for all things pertaining to advancing the kingdom of God. To magnifying the name of Christ. Putting what we want and what we desire aside and submitting to Christ and His Word. We are to subjugate our own feelings and desires to His. Brothers and sisters, if you want unity, then we must make Christ's desires our desires. And we will have unity. Because you won't be thinking about serving your own interest. But you will be thinking about all of us together as one, what serves the interest of Christ. And that fosters unity. But the question then is, what stands in the way of unity? What stands in the way of unity? This is our second point. How unity is stifled. How is unity stifled? Well, Paul says in the first half of verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You see, there was blessings attached to unity. For Paul, it was joy. But there is pain and there is heartache for disunity. For how can the church think that they're going to be blessed by God through sin? As disunity is sin, because disunity, Paul says, is selfish ambition. It's conceit. Two things God hates. Proverbs 16.5 tells us, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. This is conceit. This is vain glory. Seeking your own glory. Being arrogant. Being prideful. If you recall, this is the very reason that Herod was struck down. Turn real quick, if you will, to, to Acts chapter 12. We will see what happened to Herod and his arrogance. Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> Look at verse 20 through 23. Acts 12, verse 20 through 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last breath. You see, brothers and sisters, he liked to think of himself as godlike. He liked to hear the people scream His name. He liked to hear them giving Him applause and clapping for Him as He put on His robes and sat upon His throne. But it was this arrogance, it was this conceit that caused Him to be struck down. Brothers and sisters, if praise from men is what you want, then praise from men is all that you will receive. Jesus Himself says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Feign righteousness for the sake of glory is not true virtue. It's self-serving. Your goal isn't to uh, sincerely help a brother and sister. Your goal isn't to sincerely glorify God, but it is to further your own ambitious cause. It's to puff yourself up. But this doesn't make for a healthy church. This causes division. If you recall, this is what was happening 
in the churches that Jude was writing to. Remember, there was these false teachers who came in and they were seeking glory. They were seeking to steal men from the false teacher or from the true teachers. And this is why Jude can compare them with Korah and his rebellion to Moses. If you remember what Korah sought the place of Moses, he wanted that position. And so he wanted it so bad he was willing to, to have an uprising to take over. And what happened? He was struck down. And so Jude tells us that this was the same thing that these false teachers were trying to do. They were trying to lead the saints away through their false teaching, through teaching that licentiousness was okay as long as you already had the grace of God. But this caused problems. So much so that Jude could write that he wanted to write to them concerning their common salvation, but instead had to write to them to contend for the faith. Because disunity is so dangerous in the church. Disunity is so dangerous because you leave opportunity then for Satan to attack the church. You see, Paul knows that if we're standing side by side together for the faith, that's hard for Satan to penetrate. When we're all believing and standing side by side, it's hard to penetrate that. But you see, when we're all in our own corner, focused on our own things, this is where Satan sees opportunity and he swoops in and he pounces. This leads to infighting. This leads to people slandering and gossiping. This leads to people being dissatisfied with one another and leaving. And this can result in a church falling apart. This is the whole reason that Jude writes to the church in Corinth. Because of disunity. We remember at the start of chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians what Paul says. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as the people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You see, the result of their disobedience is they could not receive solid food. They had just the basics, but they were not ready to receive any more their Growth was stunted. Their sanctification was stunted. They weren't being blessed and fed by the Word of God because they had abandoned unity. If we, brothers, desire to be blessed by God, then we must be united in heart and in mind. This readies us to receive all that is promised to us in Christ. God blesses unity because the foundation of unity is love. The foundation of disunity is a lack of love. There's a lack of love. Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians, in that great chapter on love, chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. You see, love is not envious. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. That is self-love. That is natural, worldly love that seeks their own benefit. But this springs forth from the flesh. This is what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 when he tells us what are the works of the, of the flesh. Enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalries, dissension. 
all things which cause disunity, all things which are unloving. You see, brothers and sisters, if these things characterize us, it is because we are being unloving. Because if we have the Spirit, then we have love. And if we have the Spirit, then we are those who seek after love. We seek after peace. We seek after unity. Because to not, in a sense, is then to deny the Gospel. It's to deny the good news. Because what was the purpose of Christ's coming? To create for Himself one people out of every tribe, tongue, nation. And so when we're not united, when we're envious, when we cause dissension, you're tearing apart what Christ has brought together. You're doing harm to the Gospel. You're doing harm to your Christian witness. And so what should this teach us? It should teach us that we are to strive after that same love. That same love being God and Christ. We should all be striving after that which is spiritual. Sending our, our minds upon those things. And in doing so, we will be growing in godliness. We will be growing in love for one another. We will be growing in the fruits of the Spirit. And love in the fruits of the Spirit breed unity. And so the greater your capacity to love, the greater our capacity to be united. And yet, how do we cultivate this unity which we are called to share in? How do we cultivate this unity? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians uh, uh, verse 3 here, In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Now I realize, brothers and sisters, that this is easier said than done. This is easier said than done. But this is what true virtue is. Humility is a, a rare and uncommon virtue because we are those who like to look out by nature for number one. Number one is ourselves. But Paul isn't telling the saints to do something that they can't do. Yes, it's difficult. But Paul has demonstrated for us that his entire ministry was based on humility, on putting others' needs ahead of his own. This is why he was in prison, because it benefited others. Right? It allowed the gospel to go, to go forth and advance at a high rate of speed for sinners then to be converted. Yes, Paul's imprisonment did benefit him in the sense that he was being sanctified in it, but it had even a greater impact for those who were on their way to death and destruction and now received that faith through Paul's imprisonment and the preaching of the gospel. And yet Paul could do this. Paul could sacrifice him, himself and his imprisonment because he had the right view of himself as well as the right view of others. Paul thought lowly of himself. Paul thought lowly of himself. If anyone had opportunity to think highly of himself, you would think it would be Paul. Right? As the Lord spoke to him directly, he commissioned him to go and preach to the Gentiles. If anyone had reason to boast, it was Paul. Yet what's interesting is the closer that you get to the Lord, the deeper and more intimate your communion, the more knowledge and wisdom and understanding you receive, what did that cause Paul to do? To be even lowlier. It caused him more humility, to be humble. It produces the opposite of what you think it would do. You would think that the more knowledge, the more understanding, the closer your relationship, that it would puff one up. But Paul says, no, you are to think more humbly of yourself. 
the more knowledge you receive, the closer your relationship is to God. This is why Paul can say in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full, of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the utmost. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of saints, is this what we think about ourselves, brothers and sisters? Is this how we esteem ourselves? Because we live in a world that tells us to think the best of ourselves. You're the most wonderful. You're the smartest. The most beautiful. Exalt yourself. Don't let anyone say anything negative about you. But Paul's teaching is countercultural. This is why it's so very rare. No wonder why, though, this world cannot unite. Because each one is trying to outdo the other one. They're trying to be better than the person next to them. But humility was a characteristic of Christ. Humility is something born out of faith. And so humility is something that only believers can truly exhibit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our calling is a spiritual one in which humility reigns, which leads to unity. Brothers and sisters, if we want humility, if we want, a, a, if we want unity, if we want to grow in unity as a church, we must humble ourselves. This is how unity is cultivated. Through humility. And to do this then, we must do just as Paul has taught us, which is to constantly remind ourselves of who we are. If we want to be humble, we must constantly remind ourselves who we are, knowing that nothing good or desirable resides in us. Also, we must recognize that God calls us to love our neighbors. And so this should be motivation enough for us to do so. And so what is it to love your neighbor? Well, it is to think highly of one another. It's natural of us to, to attribute negative motives to things that our brothers and sisters do. Well, they did this for this reason, or they did that for that reason. But we're not to do this. We're to attribute, attribute good motives, good reasons behind what our brothers and sisters do. This is what it means to have a high estimation of one another. That our brothers and sisters are good, and have capacity to be even better through the help of Christ. To have humility is to have one another's interests in mind in all that we do. Not to just think of our own interests, but to think of others. What works to their advantage? What will help them? What benefits them? You see, this is how uh, unity is cultivated. Through humility. And if you're a Christian, humility is your obligation. For Christ was humble. And we identify ourselves with Christ. You're a Christian, right? And so love for Him ought to motivate us to be conformed to His perfect example of humility. And if we desire then to grow in grace, we must humble ourselves. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble, not the proud, not those who seek their own ends. 
And so we must ask, our, ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, before we do something that affects the body, we must ask ourselves before we say something that affects the body, is what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say, is it a friend or is it a foe to unity? Is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say a friend or a foe to unity? This is what it means to have others' interest in mind. You wouldn't harm yourself, would you? You wouldn't think evil of yourself, would you? So why do we do it for one another? We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if each of us do this, then what is going to result? Paul says unity. Unity will result. And so we must strive after unity constantly. This is what glorifies God. This is what builds up the church. This is what gives us such a great witness in this world. And this is what Paul calls the saints to share in, this unity. So as we draw then to a close, my hope is that we have seen what is the importance of unity. Why we need unity. It glorifies God. It means blessings to the church. It allows us to focus on what we have been here, uh, what we gather here for, Christ and for the gospel. I also hope that we have seen what unity is and what unity is not. Unity is being like-minded. It is having the same heart. It is sharing in the same goals. Unity is not self-centered. Unity is not self-ambition. Unity is opposed to self. Disunity is an enemy of the cross. Disunity is whatever separates what God has purposed to bring together. Rather, unity should cause us to recognize who we are. It should cause us to love God more and to love one another. Unity means humility. It means caring for the needs of others. Unity, though, I hope is something that we also have learned that we must cultivate. Unity is something that we must strive for as Christians. Yet we have been enabled to do it as we are those who are of one spirit and one faith and one hope, all having our minds set upon serving and loving one another because each and every one of us serve and love Christ. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have gathered us as Your people to be not a separate people, but a a united people. That You have given us the same Spirit and the same love. That we serve the same Christ in order that we would be like-minded. That we would have the same thoughts. We would have the same goals. That is to serve Christ. And in it, Father, we thank You that we receive the blessings and benefits which flow out of that relationship with Christ. And so, Father, we pray that You would strengthen the unity of this body, that You would give us greater love, as love is the foundation of unity, that You would give us greater humility, that we would be those who desire to cultivate Uh, unity here within this body. That we wouldn't be those who seek dissension or seek our own uh, self-serving interests, but that in all that we think and say and do, that we have one another at heart. And in doing so, we are going to strengthen this body, that you are going to bless this body, and that unity uh, will grow amongst this people. And so, Father, we pray for this. We pray that you would give us a like mind that we would be gathered here not for our own interests, but for your interests. And so, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus Christ.
your Son, His name we pray. Amen.